Hello and welcome to Open School of Business. Today, before we start, I wanted to ask you for a favor to go into iTunes and subscribe and also rate and review our podcast. It really helps uh, with getting to more audiences that can really find this content useful. Thank you so much. Today, I am very happy to have our guest the author uh, of an amazing book about leadership, person with over many years of experience in corporate with a very successful executive career. And he can talk from his own experience about leadership and about owning your own business because he is also a business owner right now. And uh, he has helped many businesses grow and become very profitable. So a lot of FMCG companies, Reckitt Bekeinzer, uh, Lavaza is an amazing brand. I love that one as well. Without further ado, I'd like you to introduce yourself and share with your current state of the business. Hello, audience, whoever you may be out there. And, and this is Tom, and I'm your friend. So hopefully some of the stories the leadership uh, ideals that I share with you, hopefully it helps you. So that really is the objective is to, to help this audience. And if you are thinking about starting up a new business, already started a business and struggling to grow, then maybe we'll touch on a, a couple of things which, uh, which may help you. And as uh, Anar mentioned, I have a book. You'll find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or, or any really online retailer. It's called C-Suite and Beyond. And it's really C-Suite and Beyond is about the four keys to leadership. And, and those four keys are common to all successful leaders and all successful leading companies. They may be big, they may be small, but they have that in common. So we'll talk about that a little bit today. And hopefully hopefully my, uh, my mistakes that I made in, in life and some of the wins that I had in life, you can learn from it. It's, I always say it's much easier to learn from somebody else's mistakes than make it your own, but uh, we'll see. Yes, I love that because <laughs> a lot of people shy away from talking about their mistakes. So when I find a guest who wants to talk about their mistakes is amazing. So why don't you just start with actual, you know, what, what would you do differently now that you have all the wisdom and you have the experience? Uh, if you were the business owner and all, you know, things that you've done that you would improve. Well, first of all, what would I do different? Probably not much. I mean, somebody asked me that because I'm, I'm no longer 20. I'm not 65. And they said, well, Tom, if you had to do it all over again, would you do it differently? And I said, no, because the guess what? If I did it differently, I would make different mistakes. <laughs> the, 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 only, the only person that doesn't make a mistake is the one that doesn't try. You know, if you don't try, if you don't do anything, then you won't make a mistake. Now, that, that's safe. But if you're trying and if you're risking, uh, then you will make mistakes, but that's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail as long as you learn from them and you continue to grow. And that's really been my you know, whole you know, life journey is, is making mistakes and learning from it and, and growing it from it. You know, I've, uh, I've had businesses that uh, didn't take off as, as much as I liked them to do. Um, I had businesses that flourished. But the common factor is I started those businesses. If, if I sat on the sideline and I was afraid to make a mistake, then, you know, then nothing would have happened. All right. So can you talk about some of these 
success stories alongside uh, with some examples where the business failed. So we kind of get an idea of how things were different or maybe the circumstances were different. And that gives a lot of thought for people. Let's talk about first what works, right? So, you know, what I talk about is, is and, and this is true for me, this is true for everybody. You have to have a, a passion and you have to be good at something if you're going to get into that business, right? Don't start a business for the sake of starting a business, right? Start, start a business because you're passionate about a topic, right? And so, you know, for me, I'm passionate about leadership and uh, I'm good at leadership and I'm good at mentoring folks and I'm good at coaching folks. I'm good at leading companies so I can work with folks uh, as a consultant, um, as an advisor to, to show them the way. Show them the way with the four keys that, you know, I believe in. So if, if, if you're not passionate about what you're doing, if, if you have questions whether or not you're good at it or not, then, then don't do it. You know, life is too short you know, to, to spend eight, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you're starting up a new business, you're going to spend 10, 12, 14 hours a day. So if you're not passionate about spending about something, why would you spend 14 hours of your life every day doing it? Yeah, right. And I think a lot of people who do quit corporate are seeking that passion and enjoyment in the life. And uh, that's how they get that freedom through doing what they love and getting paid for it. That's one, like, you know, one kind of uh, group of people. But there is also another one um, that I would call like a full-time entrepreneur type where their whole goal is just to you know, find something that is small and scale it and become sort of a unicorn. And sometimes they don't necessarily enjoy whatever it is that they're doing. They're just looking for that big, big accomplishment and, you know, making, taking this kind of, you know, just a normal product and turning into a, a brand that everyone talks about, for example. Well, I, or, guess you know. I guess they're serial killers and they're serial entrepreneurs, right? <laughs> you can say that as well. And I've seen people doing that. And, and sometimes one idea doesn't work out and they work on the next and the next. And, you know, sure enough, uh, after several, they will find that something that will really uh, take off. Uh, well, look, so you know, their passion may be entrepreneurship. So that may be their passion, not necessarily the, um, and, and like I mentioned, look, there's nothing wrong with starting a business and the business failing. It, it's okay. You know, if you're, especially if you're a serial entrepreneur, you know, you, you, it may take you, you know, two, three, four five businesses until you get it right, you know, before you make money. Right. Uh, I, I think, you know, Thomas, Thomas Edison, I, I don't know how many experiments he had. Before he, you know, he invented the the, the light bulb. I mean, I, I remember reading one story about him where he, uh, him and his uh, um, engineer friend, uh, they were doing an experiment and they had this massive explosion, yeah. <laughs> and and they almost and they almost got killed. And then you know, Thomas basically started taking notes right away. And the other guy said, "What are you doing?" He said, "Well, I'm taking notes because I know this didn't work, so I want to, <laughs> I want to find out, you know, what this explosion is about. It, did, it didn't work for the light bulb, but it worked for something else." So. You know, through experimentation, 
through wins and failures. That's how you build a business. But you know, you mentioned something about brand, and one of the the things that uh, I talk about in the book is is one of the keys is as an individual, you need to have a very strong idea of who you are and what your character is. So why is that important? You know, when I worked for large Fortune 100 companies, um, I would have you know people walking through my door with MBAs from Harvard, MBAs from Oxford, looking for jobs, right? Because the draw was the company's brand, right? So everybody wants to work for the Googles. You know, Google's not going to have any t- any problem, you know, attracting people. Apple's not going to have any problems attracting, you know, good talent. You know, the Procter and Gamble's of the world, the Coca-Cola's of the world, uh, the Nike's of the world. These are all very strong brands that people believe in. So they will not have a problem attracting uh, good talent. But one of the things that I learned, because so, you know, working for these large organizations, I always had talent coming through the door and working great talent. Uh, and then I started my own business and you know, I, I tried to attract good talent. And, and you know, the first question from them was, who the heck are you and why should I work for you? <laughs> right? Because yeah. who's Tom? And, you know, who's, you know, what's this startup company, you know, you know, Widgets uh, Incorporated, you know, so what's Widgets Incorporated about, you know, why should I work for Widgets Incorporated and, and who the heck is Tom and why should I work for him? So the, the biggest draw when you start up a company and you're an entrepreneur is you are, you know, people have to buy into you, have to, people have to believe in you. Um, and, and if you don't know who you are, and if you don't have a strong character, uh, then how can anybody buy into you? you? You haven't figured out yourself who you are or, or what you're about. So how can anybody else believe in it? So that's, uh, that would be my biggest advice uh, to somebody who's starting a company or, or in its early phases is people come to work for you because they believe in you, right? And, and those are the people that you want. Yes, and I love that example. I think it's one of the biggest challenges that entrepreneurs face is to attract talent and retain talent and tell that story about their own vision and, and having that brand to literally have people that will follow you where you're taking them. And uh, I think that's where you come in as a leadership coach, because I think, you know, through talking through the four keys, you can get someone build a framework of what their leadership was going to look like. And what does that mean for their particular company or for their particular idea? Yeah. So, um, you know, again, the, the first key for, if you talk about the four keys, the first key again is um, for an individual, it's, it's an individual's character. And for a company, it's the company culture. I mean, a company culture is equivalent to an individual's character. Uh, in fact, in a startup organization, what usually happens is whoever the founder was, whatever his character was, whatever his personality was, uh, that, com- that becomes the de facto culture of the company. Uh, and that will be the culture of the company unless, you know, the company gets a little bit bigger and somebody intentionally uh, takes a look and says, okay, what do we want our culture to be, right? And do we want a culture to be, you know, like the, the founder? And, you know, you know may- maybe the founder is a really energetic individual and he works, you know, 20 hours a day uh, and he's just, you know, like a, a, a bubbling boil of energy. He's constantly, you know, running around doing this, doing that. And, and that becomes the culture of the company. And, and then he kind of surrounds himself with people who are willing to work 20 hours a day and all bubbly. So they all kind of, you know, bubble off each other. 
and, and that becomes the culture of the company. Or, or maybe the founder is not that individual. Maybe the founder is a very strategic individual. So then he may have a tendency to surround himself with a lot of strategic thinkers. Right? Yeah. And um, what is your um, advice in there? Like, do you actually advise to have people that are alike? Or is it better to balance the company and think, oh, you know, I'm not a bit of a, you know, risk taker. I'd like some more risky people as my co-founders so we wouldn't miss some opportunities or like, or is it actually better so that you can all be on the same page to have people alike? So those are two different questions, right? Um, so the the culture, whatever that culture of the organization is, that's that's not negotiable. Everybody has to believe in the same culture. Um, so there's two things in any organization that is never negotiable: the culture and the vision. You can have a lot of discussion up front to what our culture should be. You can have a lot of discussion up front what the vision of the company should be. But once you agree on it, the discussion is over. Either either everybody believes. Um, or if they don't believe, then there's a big problem. If one person doesn't believe, then you have to get rid of that person because you can't have, you know, dissension. So every, everybody has to be on board with that. Now, the second part of that question you said is, uh, is, is, the, is one of the keys that I talk about is the team, right? So how do you put a, a successful team together? And uh, you're 100% right. You need to have a diverse thinking team. Right. So you can't have all strategic wing nuts on a team because then they'll never get anything done. You know, you can't have all, you know, guys who are working 20 hours a day and full of energy and want to get things done because they may be too haste and they may be very efficient in implementing things, but, but it may be the wrong things because they haven't thought it through. Right. Um, so what you need is you need to put together a team that's a diverse thinking team. So you make sure that not all of you have the same blind spots, because if, if, if you surround yourself with people who think just like you, then you will, by, define, by definition, you will all have the same blind spots. So you're all not going to see the same things. So, you know, once you put a team together, make sure it's a diverse team. It's a diverse thinking team. So when I define diversity, diversity is not from gender, skin color, et cetera. Diversity is from diverse thinking, how you, how you think about problem solving. Uh, how you how you approach people, um, how you communicate with people. These are all diverse approaches uh, and diverse thinking. Um, so again, just to quickly summarize, culture, vision, uh, very important. Have lots of discussion up front. Make sure people buy into it. And then, you know, once, because look, the, the nature of human being is if, if you tell me what to do and I'm not really excited by it and I don't believe in it, you know, I'm not going to have my heart into it. But if you ask me up front and I put my input into it, uh, whether that may culture or vision, then, then I will go to bat for that until, you know, I'm six foot under, right? Um, and then just as a side note to that, if, if you have an organization and the culture and the vision already exists, and today it's very easy because you have all these websites and, you know, you can Google any company, you're looking good, like their website, and on their website, their culture should be evident. Their vision statement should be evident. Um, and if, if, if that doesn't, you know, if you don't agree with that, it, it, you don't think you can flourish in that environment, don't work for that company, no matter right. how attractive the job may be. Oh, thank you for that. I think it's just amazing that you pointed out that both are important. 
you have to have unity in vision and culture, but have very diverse team in terms of their thinking and their approach to work. So that way you don't have blind spots. It's just really essential. And I love that you were talking about how you need to have the discussion and uh, you know you, you can agree uh, upfront and then the discussion will be over. Because I think in the beginning, a lot of entrepreneurs, they're sort of design some kind of ad hoc teams and they don't necessarily think about the vision and the culture at the very beginning. And it just evolves by itself. And even if they do write some kind of vision, they kind of do it in terms of like, oh, we need to fill that gap in the website. So let's just write up something nice that sounds, you know, positive enough so people come and ambitious enough so we make some profit and it should be also eco-friendly or something that's popular or whatever is trending right now, right? When you do your workshops, for example, for a new company, do you have certain framework uh, of thought like how they should approach this activity of coming up with their vision or their culture, what kind of questions they should ask, some categories, oh. or maybe... So, so culture, funny. your culture is going to start with values. So you have to start. So the exercise that I do is, is I basically have like 50 up to 75 generic values. And you hand out a piece of paper with all these values on it. And people circle the top six. Uh, and then, you know, you kind of go around. And, and usually what happens is um, from, from those top six, maybe, you know, two or three or four are common to everybody's piece of paper, right? So then those are what we call fundamental values that you can start building your culture on, right? Uh, so you, what you should have is any organization should have about five or you know six values that they share. Those are shared values. Everybody believes in them. And, and that's going to be the foundational uh, principle for what your culture statement is going to be, right? And then when it comes to vision, um, my advice to everybody is, is make it very, very simple. Right. So if you look at companies, uh, Coca-Cola, we refresh the world. Nike, we unleash human potential. Uh, Puma, we're the fastest brand on earth. Right. So those are extremely simple vision statements. And the reason for that is, is because you want people to be able to understand it and buy into it. The moment somebody comes up with a vision statement that says, um, we want to be great corporate citizens uh, and we want to help the world and you know, uh, create shareholder value and the environment, you know, save the environment. I mean, it's such a convoluted statement. Nobody understands it and nobody believes in it. So, so make it simple and easily understood. So I can tell you, you know, with Coca-Cola, it's, you know, we refresh the world. What does that mean? Well, any product that Coca-Cola launches is going to be refreshing and it's going to have global distribution. It's about the world. Right. So when Elon Musk colonizes Mars, we'll have Coca-Cola up there because that's going to be the new definition of, of the world. Right. I'll show you, you know, my personal vision statement is man of God, leader of men. Anything that I do is going to honor God and anything I could do is going to be a leadership role. And why is that important? Um, and by the way, everybody should have a personal vision statement for themselves. Right. What a personal vision statement or a, a vision statement for a company is, is it helps you. Uh, make major decisions um, about things that you're going to do. 
right? Um, like I said, you know, Coca-Cola, we refresh the world. Well, it's unlikely that any brand manager in Coca-Cola would introduce a product that's not refreshing. It, it's, I, I've had, you know, when I was working in Eastern Europe, I had plenty of time, plenty of uh, opportunities to, to lead tobacco companies. And I always said, no, I, I don't want to work for a tobacco company because that's going to go against my vision statement and my values. So it helps you. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, if you talk to Simon Sinek, he, he talks, he uses uh, a different thing than vision statement. He calls it, what is a company's why? You know, why are they doing something? What is their why? And, and he's just Kodak as a good example, where Kodak was, you know, one of the great imaging companies early on. Uh, and they lost their why. They, they got off their vision statement. They started going down and, and started looking at short-term results. So they started uh, doing products that were, you know, short term and, and they kind of missed the whole revolution of, of where we are with imaging today. Uh, so they, they lost their vision statement. They didn't follow it. They, they want to, they got distracted by having to make quarterly numbers and, and they did all kinds of projects which did not adhere to that vision statement that they had, right? So that's, that's what a vision statement is important for. It's, it's not about next year. It's not about next quarter. Uh, it's, you know, 20, 30, 40, you know, 50 years. Dave Martin, who's a, who's a pretty well-known guy, he, he talks about a cathedral vision. Is your vision cathedral? So what does he mean by that? Well, if you look at all the European great cathedrals, they were all built two, three, four, 500 years. Right? So um, if, if you had a vision to build, you know, I, I think the cathedral in Cairn was 500 years in the making. So if you drew this up on a piece of paper and you had a vision for it, uh, you know, it wasn't going to happen <laughs> in your lifetime. Right? So that's, yeah. that's so. Do you have a cathedral vision? Is the question. I really like that you also touched upon the spiritual, um, because I think that's what is lacking in a lot of the corporate world, and that's why people are actually leaving the corporate world to create their own thing, because that's when they exercise their creator. Um, their creative abilities and the ability to be closer to God with that uh, purpose sure. of that, you know, what they find. So in that sense, like it's in a way it's easier because you have the freedom to do it as an entrepreneur. And also it is more challenging because you have so much more responsibility. If right. you're creating something and it harms someone else, uh, you will feel all of that responsibility much more so than if you were in a company that was doing it and you happen to have a job because that was the only option at the time for you to feed your family. <laughs> so I feel like it's a very good position to be in because you have the authority and you have uh, the freedom, but also that responsibility of trying to make the profit trying to still make the financials work. That's what makes a lot of business people, uh, including especially uh, entrepreneurs and solopreneurs, be very short-term thinkers. They're really, they're really thinking about how am I going to make my next uh, rent for the space I'm renting out for the business and et cetera. It's like very short-term. So how do you advise to link that vision with everyday tasks so they feel motivated and at the same time they feel very efficient 
and they're making uh, their money. Look, uh, your vision has nothing to do with your everyday tasks. I mean, you know, hopefully your everyday tasks are getting you towards that vision, but, you know, paying rent has nothing to do with your vision. You know, paying rent has to do with sales. So, you know, my advice to you is don't rent an office until you sold your first product and you got sales income. Uh, you know, one of the great examples, in, and I, I don't know the gentleman's name directly, but um, he's, a, he's one of those, you know, serial entrepreneurs. Um, and, and he's, you know, many times a millionaire, but um, he was at one time at an airport about, you know, 35, 40 years ago, and they were all waiting in line to get their boarding pass. And the process took so long that he missed his flight and he was very, very frustrated. So he came out with the idea of, of, of why do we need to all stand in line to get our boarding pass from this person? How about if there was a distributive method to all get our boarding passes uh, and everybody can walk up to quote unquote a kiosk and, and get their boarding pass, right? So one would think, well, that would take a lot of capital. That would take a lot of money to actually come up with a you know prototype and get that and and then sell it to. So he he did it differently. He basically you know came up with a design, had it patented, uh, and he went to one of the airlines and they said, "Look, everybody's very frustrated with the you know boarding pass system. So here's an idea, and I'm going to give you 12 months exclusivity, so only your airlines can use this. In turn for that." I need development money, or about $350,000, whatever number was. Uh, but you have 12 months exclusive. And then he went to the next line and said, okay, after 12 months, you know, you're going to have, you know, six months. So before he ever made a product, he sold it for two different airlines, right? So he had revenue, he had sales, he, you know, he, he didn't get the office first. Yeah. He didn't go. That's and- an amazing <laughs> example. I want everyone to think about this and much, you know, many more like that. And I'm hoping that you can come up with more examples like this and uh, in general, like very specific sale advice in terms of um, having this kind of future deals and collaborative deals. The the first thing for any entrepreneur is, you know, don't think about how you're going to spend the money. Think about your first sale, right? You know, the, the companies that I started up, I, I, I never started with an office. You know, my office was my trunk. And, you know, I had a phone and I had a computer. And now it's much easier because you got, you know, Wi-Fi everywhere. So you can sit in a Starbucks or whatnot. But, you know, be productive. Don't just sit in Starbucks and, and, and use, you know, you know, use Wi-Fi for Instagram or whatever. But, you know, be productive. <laughs> yeah. but, 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 you know, when you put your business plan together as an entrepreneur, uh, as a salesperson, Think about it to say, look, what can I do to sell something without having to spend any money to do it? Right. And uh, I would like to actually dig into that. And I would like to do two things in parallel. Uh, Compare the sales and your experience in Lavaza, how you managed to um, make Lavaza um, available almost across USA. And... And, how, and your first job as the leadership coach, how you approached it and how you got your first gig as, as a coach or as a speaker and all the line of work that you're in now. Well, look, you know, uh, as a large organization, uh, there's, uh, there's different business models that you're going to use. 
Um, and what I learned in, in working for large corporate America is uh, I don't care if I sell one product or I sell hundred million products. There are certain things you're going to have to do. You know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to have a, a sales distribution model. You're going to have a marketing model. Uh, you got to have, um, you know, some, some back office, I uh, think. So, so it's not, you know, as a startup, you may be doing all those things yourself, but it still has to be done and has to be done right. Right. So don't, don't try to run your business out of an Excel spreadsheet because that's not going to last you too long. Right. Um, yeah. So, and, and, you know, whether you're a large, large organization or you're a smaller organization, um, you're going to build your business through relationships. Right. So, you know, you're going to say, okay, well, who do I know? If, if you're trying to distribute products, okay, say, who do I know? Who do I know in Carrefour? Who do I know in Walmart? Who do I know in, you know, Costco? Who do I know in, in, in other large retailers? And then get on their calendars and be able to, you know, go and, and, and meet with them and, and try selling your products to them, right? Um, same thing with as, as, as my consulting business and leadership, okay? You know, how do, how do I funnel to get people interested uh, to do a workshop for them, uh, to do uh, engage them in you know in a maybe a motivational uh, kickoff for a sales meeting. So, okay, uh, there's a funnel. There's I probably talked to 100 people, 150 people, and then eventually one person says, "Yep, yeah, Tom's the guy." Yes, it's awesome. I like that because there is always a funnel and the more effort you spend into maximizing that quantity, the likelihood of you getting a sale would increase. So it's always a number game. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'm really enjoying our conversation, but I think uh, <laughs> the time is limited. Yeah, so we're running out of time. I Absolutely. would like to ask you uh, just one last question. And it's a little bit tricky because I think uh, especially a lot of business owners in the beginning, they just uh, feel so free after quitting their corporate jobs and they want to do all of this stuff on their own and they have vision and energy. And a lot of times uh, it can be very hard to convince them to actually take up any coaching or even to recognize that they need leadership lessons because a lot of people believe they're such great leaders and uh, they don't need any lessons, basically. So how, what do you tell people like that? Have you worked with people like that, first of all? And how do you turn them around? Um, but look, you know, if you think you have all the answers, then, then God bless you. <laughs> you know, I'm 65. I don't think I have all the answers. You know, I, I learn every day. Uh, I have mentors in my life uh, that, you know, if you're a startup organization, the the thing that I would advise you most is find out who your inner circle is, uh, make them, you know, even if they don't work for you, having them being a sounding board, you know, they would be your quote unquote advisory, you know, board. So, so you're accountable to somebody because if you're only accountable to yourself and you think you have all the answers, uh, you're in trouble. Right. Because right. so, you're in a silo as there yeah. is no feedback and there is no growth. Yeah. Yeah. So even, you know, me, for me, even as a, a small business, you know, now, I don't even try to do it myself. I, I usually try to partner with two, three people. So you know, the, the, the two businesses I own now, you know, there's their partnerships. So it's much easier that way because um, 
you know, you're constantly having dialogue. You know, you're, you're not having arguments, but you're constantly having debates so, on how to do things. And, and that's healthy. Right. And that makes, uh, that ensures that you don't have the blind spots that you were talking about. So yeah, that's really absolutely. amazing. And uh, in terms of those partnerships, uh, can you just elaborate more a little bit about the two companies you have so that our audience can find you and find your services in any of these? Well, the the easiest way to do it is I'm blessed and cursed with a last name. So my, you know, my last name is Karesti, K-E-R-E-S-Z-T-I. If you Google us, you'll find me and my sister and my sister's an OBGYN in Boston. So it's not, it's not her. Uh, You can go to Amazon and again, look for C-Suite and Beyond, um, you know, which is the book. And uh, you can also go to my website, just go to Karesti.com and that gets you to my website. Uh, so, you know, there's, uh, in, in fact, um, uh, one of the offers I make to all my audiences, including the audience here, is if you go to my website and you go to the contact page and you fill out your information, I will send you an executive summary of my book. So you don't even have to buy the book. I mean, there's, a, you know, only a handful of stories in the, in the summary. In the whole book, there's tons and tons of stories and lessons learned. Uh, so I would encourage you to get the book, but if you don't want to get the book, I'm happy to just send you a, a quick summary of the book. Uh, it's about 20 pages. It's an easy, it's an easy read. Uh, so just, you know, fill out the form on my, on my website and I'll be happy to send it to you. All right. Uh, thank you so much for your generosity and for your time. I think it was a really great interview. It was very pragmatic. It had a lot of life lessons. So thank you so much for your time. All right, Anwar. Thank you so much.